So it's like, huh, makes me wonder. I like the celebration of life. Yeah. And the barbecue. Here we go. We are live. Right. <laughs> and we got behaved. Oh, we're live. <laughs> we're here, alive to the story. Oh, we're here. <laughs> are we alive? We are in the Bible. So, um, yeah, it's good to have everybody tonight. We got a few people missing that we usually have. But um, we tag some people in the video. So, but yeah, be praying for us. Radon and I we fly out tomorrow. Headed to Burn. Um, about five, I, I leave at five a.m. in the morning. She leaves at three p.m. tomorrow evening, and uh, we start tomorrow night at seven. So we're excited about it. We're uh, at Rock Chapel in Burn, New York, for uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Finish up Sunday morning, sometime Sunday afternoon, and then we fly from there to uh, New York City, New York City to London. And we drive from London to uh, well, uh, Wells, and then we're there uh, at a conference for Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and yeah, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Then we go to London for Thursday. We fly back on Friday, back into JFK on Saturday or Friday. Stay over one night, fly back in here on Saturday. Get ready for Sunday. Yeah. For you. Well, maybe the plane could just drop you off to the meeting when you go out. Yeah, that's true. Hey, look, I'll just drop you off. So anyway, that's our uh, that's our next ten days. Glory. You will come back so full that you'll have to have two seats. Yes. Amen. Because you know. Yes. Get it and bring it back. Yeah, absolutely. Because I feel a little worn out right now. Right. We'll have a seven-hour flight to sleep. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the next couple of days, and I'm just asking God to give me the grace to be able to pour out. And um, for four, four different times, I'll be preaching four times in three days. It doesn't sound like a lot. It's a lot for me. Plus leading worship. Plus, Plus leading worship. Three times, yeah. Plus leading worship six or seven times. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, asking for supernatural strength. Over the whole, all of us. All of everyone. Yeah. Uh, Daniel's going with us, and we're taking, um, that's one person from the church, really. We're taking Josh Sumner with us to help lead worship. Some um, of you remember him. Remember Josh back from the old building? Had the beard. Got married. Ooh. Married a woman from, um, I forgot where she was from, but he met her when he was in the Air Force. And they got married and had to live in Jack's. But he went to the church with us for about two years. So Josh will be with us in the Tennessee room. He comes. Occasions to church, um, but he'll be with us, and then myself and Radon leading worship up in So we're excited about it. And um, last time I was there two years ago, there were some hungry people. We're gonna see if we can spark something in them while we're there to really go after it, and uh, challenge them a little bit, and uh, <laughs> see if they're ready for a movement of God. And uh, Gary Beaton will also be there. Um, he's a prophetic voice in the me and Gary beaten for that word, revelation. So uh, it's going to be an exciting time. I'll uh, get to meet Gary for the first time. And um, I read a lot of his stuff. I've 
heard about him all my life, or not all my life, but over the last couple of years. And John Hamill was married with him, so it's a good time. Yeah. And, um, Going from Burning Wick to Burn <laughs> to Wales and back. A new place for the burn to move. That's great. Yeah. 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 Wow. yeah. But uh, I was talking with him. As a scripture I want to read today, but I was talking with Scott today at lunch, and you know we were talking about because Scott's been talking about the demand. You know that we put on heaven with what we're asking heaven to do, what we're asking to come out of heaven as an out as an outpour. But then I reversed it on Scott today. I said, "But does heaven put a demand on us? If we put a demand on heaven, mm -hmm. heaven we want this. We want heaven to open up. We want heaven to pour out. We want a movement to be established. We want people to be saved across the across the planet." The Holy Spirit to come in and just completely, just compete completely in a good way, annihilate us, tear us down, build us back up, do what He does, set us a fire, set us ablaze, put us in our place, put us in our seat of authority, functioning out of that seat of authority, you know, and all those things that we ask from heaven. But does heaven also, or demand we put on heaven to, to produce, but in return, does heaven? put a demand on us as accountability. Are we accountable to what God, what we're asking God to do? Because anything he does, do we have to steward it? Yes. So then that probably answers my question. There is some form of demand that comes from heaven in a form of we have to be good stewards and we have to steward what heaven releases. And what if we don't steward what heaven releases? What happens if we don't meet the demand of heaven? If we feel like there's a demand that comes from heaven, in, re in reference, in, in response to our demand for heaven to break open and release, your thoughts on that? I think um, sometimes we don't always know what we're asking for. Yes. Like, in other words, like, you know, because when you really want everything that heaven has, I think the key, I think the thing we realize shortly into it is that what is it going to cost me? Because really what you're asking is, is what do you want from me? What does it mean for me to be all in and for you to give me my eternal, perpetual yes. And I think we have a lot of yeses along the way. I think he meets us in places and he kind of, we have an opportunity to give him a yes again. But I think if we, if he has the yes, I think it's the biggest thing he's looking for. He just wants us. Because it's not just, you know, like we've talked about revival too, like part of what we see as the front end of this is that he's been going after our heart. And so when you see people in the water and you see things happen, a lot of people are coming with what's already in them. And part of what's happened with that too is he's, he's there, there's no room for hiddenness. You know, because when you have public declaration, when you're asked why you're in the water today, essentially most people when they're saying is, I'm in the water because I'm addicted to this, I've got this going on, I've got this going on, I'm standing here for my parents. 
my kids, but people are bringing, I just say this, it looks messy. We're kind of bringing our messy life to the forefront and we're saying, here it is, Lord, lest you come and deliver me from the hell of myself, I won't be free. And I think that's part of the dynamic we've seen in, in the water and in the public confession is that essentially you get it all. And then we wonder why all the stuff's coming up, right? Yeah. Because it, it, it's going from a heart first. And I think the whole analogy of the mikvah is part of what's been really on the front end of this one, where literally he's purging our hearts and souls. And, I, you know, there is, there is a grace. I think there's a lot of grace um, that is magnified in revival that God gets things that we couldn't move. There's things that we haven't been able to move in our lives, in the lives of people in our family, like breakthroughs. You know, how many people have struggled with stuff? I mean, I see it all the time in school, but like have struggled with things as believers for years mm -hmm. that they haven't been able to get free from. You know, and then he literally takes the mountain that's in our heart and he moves it. I remember in Toronto, like one of my fun examples is like you see a married couple going and they hate each other. Like, they're ready for divorce, I hate you, like, I want to kill my spouse, you know what I mean? You know, like, it was like a movie scene. And they would be on the floor under the anointing and power of God, and all of a sudden, the mountain, like, how do you move that one on your own? If you have all this contempt and all this stuff in your heart through a marriage that's been challenged and rough, how do we move that? We don't. And I think that's part of that grace that comes in the anointing and in in the fire that we experience, that there's a grace for that kind of stuff to move. So there's a real mercy of heaven in that one. So I think the first part of it is he's, he's doing something with our heart. It's always about the heart. I mean, everything. Your relationship with individuals or your relationship everything. with God is always a heart to heart. It's never your mind to his heart. Right. His mind, your, it's always a heart to heart relationship. About when you get that hour done, you think, Well, I think I can do this better, God. But you're thinking that you're using your head, you're not using your heart. So it's always a relationship of a heart to heart relationship with God. When you break that away and you start going a different relationship, you start using other parts of your body, your head, or whatever, then that relationship goes away. God's looking for a heart to heart relationship, no matter what it is. It's always that relationship He's seeking. I think that's the thing we see when people melt. You know, I remember when we were there and Todd would say, look at the screen, it happens here all the time. You look at something in the water. I mean, literally, there's a transformation. Mm -hmm. It's Jesus meets them in the place of their heart. And when you've got my heart, I think the part you're moving towards is, okay, now that you've got me and you've got all of my um, unreserved guesses. I remember, you know, I gave Jesus, I've had places that I've protected. I have. I protected not wanting to, um, I wanted to get out of Brunswick. I was protecting some things there. I was protecting things. We all have stuff. If you want to know what the thing is that God's after, it's usually a thing you're protecting. Right? And there's a reason why we are, because we have those places we don't want to let God in. And so, the day that um, he preached about, Jamie preached about the veils, you know, that there are veils that we put up mm -hmm. between us and God. And literally, in that service, it was like he highlighted my last little place I was protected. I said, okay, 
It's yours. I'm not going to protect it anymore. It's all yours. And what he did in that moment, in that service was, Jesus stood in front of me and ripped the veil in front of my face. And he stood like this. But here's the next thing that he said, which kind of surprised me. Good, because I need you focused. Mm. And then he said, my still small voice is as loud as the voice, my voice in the thunder. Yeah. And so what was he doing? It was like, dude, I need to get you out of your own place of being protected so that you're with me. And I need you focused because you can't even focus on what I want to do. Because it's like the whole thing with the seat, that really has to do with the assignment. Okay, and God's investment it's kind of like Esther. You know, when he, when she, when Mordecai said to Esther, look, don't think you're going to save yourself. That you're not going to, you know, that you're a Jew. You're not going to get out of this one. But here's what he said to her that I thought was very sobering. And this is the part that always gets me. If you don't take this opportunity for such a time as this, you're, you're in this Kairos moment. God will do it another way. Yeah. But don't think you'll be able to rescue yourself in the either. Because you're going to go with it. That line for me was like, wait a minute. Are you saying that God could pass me by? Yeah. I'm, I'm calling you into this moment and this time and this hour. This is your Kairos moment. I've got your heart, which is what I want. And I'm asking you, what are you going to do? And if he's looking for my... That's why he gets the junk out of the way. The junk is out of the way so he can own me. Because with junk in the way, like you were saying, he doesn't own me. But when there's nothing between you and me, you own me. Now that you own me and we got that settled, I have an assignment for you. But the assignment is linked to the purpose that he wants to release on the earth. That's why it's so critical to get us into the seat and into the assignment. Because it's bigger than us. It's about God establishing his plans and purpose on the earth. So we all have this puzzle piece in our assignment. If you abort your puzzle piece, what Esther's story is telling us is, I'll get another puzzle piece. Because God is going to do what he wants to do. So on one hand, he is into revival more than we are. Because in revival, he's seating us in our place of authority. He's assigning us and he's positioning us to bless us, right? And to do incredible things. On one hand, he's more into it than we are. At the same time, it's an invitation. And there's a tension between the two. It's an invitation. Like we're saying, is there room for me to make a mistake? Yeah. I think we can make mistakes, but we have to be always coming. That's where the listening comes in. Because I honestly believe that the blessing is linked to my listening and obedience. The reason he's cleaning me out and getting me, preparing me, and putting me into the mikvah is so that I'll obey. There's nothing that's clouding the voice. That's why when he said to me, the still small voice, the only way we can roll in holy chaos the only way we can roll in an era of holy chaos and disorientation is we have to cling to the voice. 
Because in revival, like Jamie says, everything is changing simultaneously. It's all shifting. It's, it's totally disorienting. But you have to disorient me to get me into a place of obedience. Because you have to pull me out of the familiar. Because I am lock, stock, and barrel. We all are. I'm committed to what I know. And so you have to bring me into a place that's so disorienting at times to get me to let go of the stuff that I'm holding on to so that I'll listen to your voice. Well, I think it goes to that, you know, there's that invitation and the, and the, the importance of grace and hearing God. Yeah. But there's, there's and, and just like with Esther, even though she said yes, even though if she aborted, God would raise up somebody else, there was still no pressure of performance. And that's why I love, like, Philippians 2. You know, sometimes people pull and pick out of, uh, like, 2 through the end of the chapter. It says, um, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more out of my absence, work out our own salvation with fear and trembling before the Lord. Right? But it says in 13, For it is God who works in you, to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So that one scripture there unlocks that pressure cooker of, am I going to miss it? If I screw up, will it go away? Right. It, 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 it lifts all that off because it is God working in us to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose because he will fulfill it as long as we're listening. But it... it but, a lot of times people stop with the fear and trembling, and they don't go on down. But then, what always astounds me, because you hear people highlighting on, like, don't do everything, you know, without arguing or complaining. You know, you hear people hit that, but they don't pair it all together. Because, see, verse 13 says, you know, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. But 14 says, do everything without grumbling and complaining. So that you may become pure, excuse me, blameless and pure children of God without fault in a work generation. Then you will shine among them like the stars as you hold firmly to the word of life. Again, it's a firm grip. We have to have that resolved firm grip that we've given now at this place where we've, we're given that unreserved yes. And then what's next Sometimes that in-between place is the, where the enemy crushes you out. Because the in-between is the hardest place to stand in. It is. But at the end of the day, we know that as long as we're hearing, that's right. and as long as we're taking the step that's in front of us, yeah. and we're holding firm to that, then we'll shine like the stars. We'll see the manifestation happen. We will. I think that I think one of the good. things that is good is when we mentioned the 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 pools as mikvahs. What is the purpose of the mikvah? Cleansing. I mean, it's a cleansing, but when you cleanse, stuff comes to the top. Right. Stuff yeah. comes to the surface. And I think what we what a lot of times we we jump into whether it's the actual mikvah, the water itself, or the spiritual mikvah of the spirit. You know, Scott says, we talk about the demand on heaven or, or heaven's demand on us. 
do we always know what we ask for or how much we ask for? I say no, we never know. the magnitude of what we ask for? Probably not. But then we think, when I get in that water, do I really, am I really ready for what the water's going to reveal? And that's a no, too. But this is the thing. <laughs> I mean, why I mean, be is, surprised is but, what I'm but saying. But this is the thing. We have to have a, be in a place with the Lord that when it comes to the surface and floats on top with us, we have to identify it and deal with it. Yes. And, all, and really, a lot of us, we're not ready for that. We're just like, man, the mikvah, we jump in. And it's like all of, a, all of a sudden it's like reality sets in and then there's the junk. Yeah. I mean, I got in Sunday and uh, it was three times more powerful Sunday than the first time I got in. It was. And, and the, God went after my heart the first time. He started dealing with things that were brought to the surface on the second time. So now I'm like, I mean, I remember when I come out of the water, I'm like, oh, I need to go down again. Poof. You know? I mean, it was like he was shaking everything that could be shaken that's either sur surfacely attached to me or deep within me that he was digging out for that purification. But it, with the, in a purification, it's like washing your hands. You've got to be ready for what comes off of those. And I think sometimes we get overwhelmed and revival because of the cleansing. We get overwhelmed because, next thing you know, this identity crisis is now sitting before us. This strong man is sitting before us. This codependency is sitting in front of us. This fear is sitting in front of us. This whatever I've been running from is sitting in front of us. And it freaks me out. And do I press in and press through that for that to get to, to really to, not because it's out of us, but now it's sitting in front of us. And I think the Lord is saying, man, you got to deal with that. Right. You know, the, 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 that part of the myth of, man, it's a nice, man, hand washing and nice little warm and, man, I got my healing, I got this, but then what else came to the surface? At least for me, and I think it, a lot of people that or finding themselves in the water or outside the water. Well, Again. If you take it with you when you get out of the water, or you leaving it there. I mean, that's that's what you, to me, that's the critical thing, because all that stuff comes out, you look at the water, and when you get out of the water, are you taking it with you, or are you leaving it there? Because you should be leaving it in the right, water. Right. It should be coming with you. But, 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 <laughs> God, God will take care of that. I'm yeah. not, that's not my but, worry. That's God will take the, care of that. The thing is, is you're going to be checked outside of the water, regardless right, of right. you leave it in the water or not. Well, you, some, something will check you. Just like Jesus, when he went down the Jordan, the Holy Spirit rented the heavens, told, it was a tearing. There was an identity response from the Father. The first thing that happened, identity check. Right. Yeah. And we saw where Jesus was ready for the identity check. That promoted him to the seat of authority. Because he couldn't carry the junk into the seat. You know, there's an element, too, though, of just raw, pure love. That I think when we get in there, I think 
I think one of the things that God is like when he moves stuff out of the way he's moving things out of the way so that my intimacy with him can look different and my love experience with him looks different because it's it's interesting because I think it it kind of reveals how not religious he is yeah like in other words he's never afraid of the mess and I think when we get religious and we and we and we're usually harder on ourselves than he is on us and that he's not afraid of what's in me that he he died for this and so I think there's a part of me that sometimes you know I put away my issues in the name of either religion or just and sometimes just to function right we push things to the side we don't have time for them but it really is this mercy and love that kind of goes after me because even though I'm exposed I don't feel naked I don't feel shame and there's something that's really really beautiful in what he does in that when he envelops us because when you do see people in the water you see love surround them and it's I think it's a beautiful picture of there's that song you've always loved me and I love that song, Iron Bell, you turn me on to. And it says, even at my weakest, you've always loved me. And the weird thing about that song for me, because I really latched onto it, I asked my wife, I play it every day in the shower. And, but I find myself, I have to sing this. Because it's part of the story that he's kind of unfolding and creating in me at the same time. It's this revelation that in every stage of my life, in my darkest hour of my whole life, you've always loved me. And I think a lot of times we haven't had a lot of grace for ourselves in those places. And so in this mikvah, it's cleansing, but it's love. It's cleansing without the shame. He's peeling away the shame, and he's moving stuff out of me, and he's owning me. And the part with me hearing his voice is, I want to hear your voice. I want to hear what you're saying to me, Dad. I want to be able to respond to you. And I think he's, he's really preparing us for habitation. He's preparing us for this place of being able to live in his presence as one who has nothing between me and you. I'm clean. I've been washed, and I know that I'm clean, and even in the middle of that, I mean, I know for some of us, I've had issues keep coming up. You know, some things I thought were put away have come back out, and it's like, but it's different this time, because I just feel like there's a sonship aspect of this whole thing in revival and spirit of adoption that gets loose to that water that literally just does something different in us. Because he's not just scrubbing me, he's preparing me for intimacy. He's making me into a lover. He's freeing me to love. Because most of the stuff that's in me, honestly, is the stuff that keeps me from loving well. Whether I'm loving myself well, loving my wife well, or loving him well, the garbage just keeps us from love. And I think he's, you know, it's, when I'm in that place where I know that I'm loved and that 
I really can't screw this up too much because I really am listening and you really captivate me with love, then you can require a lot from me. You can require whatever you want from me. I'll lay it down every time. Because I know for me, I've had, it was, I was doing this whole exercise today where I was like, okay, Lord. Because if I don't know what you're doing at all in my life now, that I'm completely disoriented, right? Which is very disturbing for me, right? I have a lot of anxiety when I don't know what's going on. I have a lot of anxiety. And if I think about the reason I have anxiety, it's because I can't control and you created me to be led by blind faith, by the whisper of your voice in my ear, to walk into unfamiliar territory as a blind man, and to trust you every single step. I've never lived that way before in my life. Never. I've never been free to not know what tomorrow brings. I've never been free to follow you blind, because that's really what trust is. Trust is, I don't have to know tomorrow, I don't have to know 10 minutes from now. All I have to know is your voice, and I just have to know that you love me, and I'm hearing you, and you've got me. And I'm, it's the freedom to be enraptured in the moment with Jesus, and to live in that place, and I've never, I've never, I've never been free to just be. To just be. I've always had to be doing. I've always had to be earning it. I've always had, I mean, I don't, I'm religious in more ways than I realized. And so I think there's a, there's a love, and it's in the context of love that you can require everything from me. Because the truth is, and all of my doing, and all of my having to control it, I haven't been free to be loved or love. Because I've been holding. Every place my hand has been tight, I'm not free to love, and I'm not free to receive it, and I'm not free to live in it. And so it's not just freeing me from religious stuff, it's freeing me to love and be a blind fool that walks with Jesus and doesn't have to know what the next moment brings. That's what I think when he says, the wind blows where it blows, I can go. I can go. If he says to get on a plane and I want you to fly to Zimbabwe tomorrow and I don't have a clue where I'm going to get the money or what's going to happen when I get there, I'll get on the plane and go. It's freeing me to be used. It's freeing me to be available, I think 98% of Christendom or more is not available. Yeah. We're not available. And so, 99.977. I mean, honestly, think about it. If all we do is cerebral Christianity and most of Christianity, and we don't do encounter at all, all right, so even in the encounter base, where we're function, where we literally welcome the encounter of Holy Spirit, how many people who welcome the encounter actually live by the Spirit? 
that we're truly free to love. And I feel like that's what he's after for me. Like he wants me to be free to love and to just go where you say go to hear the nuances of the spirit and be able to flow in it. And so then you can require a lot. My thing would be if we're not there, if you're not there, you're not there, and I'm saying you're not, probably means you need to have more time in that water, more time being loved, more time being whatever. It tells me that encounter is not an option. It's life. I have to be living. I have to be living in an encounter, and I have to be a walking encounter with heaven. That when they see me, they encounter heaven. It's the only way it works. It's not like it's nice. You know what I mean? No, it's not. It's and, not well, and we it's can't not be cute. we can't be surprised when we have the encounter, whether it's in the water or out of the water, and we have this encounter with the Lord, and He pulls those things to the surface. It we we cannot let the enemy twist what the God is doing and cut the legs out from under us because what's happening is that purifying, refining is happening and even according to Caroline Leaf, if you listen to some of her teaching, when that memory comes up or when that issue rises before you that scientifically you, that you can see a shift even in your brain pattern if you release that to the Lord, if you give him in that divine exchange that we give him our ashes and we receive his beauty, we give him our mess and we pull down his perfection, that in as that, surf, as that surface junk is in our face or we see it and we're dealing with it after the encounter, the only thing we can do at that point is to give it to the Lord and pull down the... The counter of that or the wholeness portion of that if it's fear then pull down peace you know exchange whatever that is if it's if it's insecurity pull down identity pull down adoption you know because the reality of it is and I think the enemy tries to keep our perspective in a natural realm you know he tries to keep our perspective in this life timeline space is there's nothing we can do that's going to take the Lord by surprise. <laughs> Why? Because he created time. And so he's outside of that entire framework. So when he looks at us, he already sees my screw up that I'm doing tomorrow. <laughs> do you see what I mean? Yeah. So even at my darkest or my lowest or at my most disobedient or my most rebellious or whatever, He's already seen that, even before I even came into the earth. But the enemy tries to keep us in this life, you know, uh, natural perception. Yeah. And if we can lift our gaze above to say, he loves me for who I am, and that includes all of me. <laughs> you know, that includes the sin I commit a week from now. He's still not overwhelmed or taken back by the screw-up of tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, you know? And, but when the Lord is bringing these things, when you go into that mikvah place, that place of dying and then coming back to life, 
in new life and resurrection power, when that resurrection power radiates out, it's going to call to the surface junk. And all we can do is lift it up and out mm -hmm. and let the Lord do that process of healing. Because you got to think our spirit is whole. It's our mind, our will, and our emotions that's that's the jumped up place. You know, that's the place where we've got to process through. But I, I, I say it all the time. Uh, we, we have yet to begin to scratch the surface of what a spirit-led life is and what it looks like, what the application of that. I don't think, I mean, very few have a full understanding of that. I think when we're loaded too with like toxic shame in us that we, the thing he said on the way over here was your righteousness is based on your faith in Jesus' righteousness. You're already righteous. He's made you righteous. So even when you do this over here, the only thing that changed, your position and righteousness didn't change. It was your perception of it. Because in that moment, I let the other identity be the thing that I identified with. And it was almost like I could see angels saying, get that kid back up there where he belongs, where he can see what he, who he is. Because that's where we get tripped up with sin. Because we, we live in the place where we let that be the thing that identifies me. My righteousness is established. Jesus always sees me as righteous. It's a mind bender for us yeah. to realize that that's always my state. My state in heaven and the way he sees me because of Jesus, my righteousness, I'm as righteous, my spirit is as righteous as it will ever be. But it's like when we have that moment over here, it's like he said, the, your position in me as covered and righteous doesn't change. Your perception in that moment of where you're at in that does. That makes sense? Mm -hmm. Because I take on the identity of a sin or shame or whatever over here. That's why, like, when you say fall forward, are you saying that I could have my worst moment over here and step right into worship and not be a hypocrite? Yes. Because the enemy takes our shame and says we're separated from God. Separation is the enemy's illusion. We are never separated. Ever. It's an illusion. But he's got an investment in that illusion, okay? So, what, is, is it true that I could come over here and flip to this station and watch whatever? And I'm like, I feel like, okay, that was wrong. And I could step over here and be singing my song in the shower? Yes. But if you're in that position all the time we're talking about, revival would not be necessary. Because revival, from God's perspective, is all the time. It's going on all, all the time. It is. It, revival's for you or for me, for changing what our attitude is to what we perceive God to be. And to me, it's a heart-to-heart, -heart, again, relationship. When you get rid of, when you start doing that way, then your revival becomes a new man, so to speak. Because you're right, with, with righteousness, you're all, God gave Jesus for me. He did, I mean, you, it, 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 that doesn't change. That will never change. And, you know, so a lot of people forget about that. They look at it and say, well, I did this wrong, so I can't 
I can't raise my hands because I don't think God will save me. That, that's a, that is just a wrong perspective. It is. God's always seeing you what you are. He's always standing right in front of Jesus. you. God sees you through Jesus. I mean, that's what God sees you through. Yeah. He doesn't move. That's, that's his lens. Yeah. And if you start thinking that's not his lens, that's a problem. But the enemy will keep most yeah, of us Satan in that will, place Satan where, will, yeah, Satan will play with you with, with where words. we think we're separate. That's right. Every moment that you stay in separation is a choice. That's right. Yeah. You can stay there, or you can come out of it, and you can be connected right. again. And, and and religion says when you do this, you go all the way back to the beginning. Says when? That's when? That's right. <laughs> As if you are the same person today that you were 25 years ago. No. It's present continuous with the Lord. Present continuous with the Lord. If I step out of that and I choose to be over here in this place, that's a choice. But I could choose to be in another place just like that. Because he hasn't gone anywhere. He's right there. And the enemy doesn't want us to know that we have the power of choice. That's right. Right. And that's the reality. Because he would say, that, oh, it's, it's, it's all this and that and it's difficult and penance and all that. Right. We could always say that, I mean, Scott and I were talking about today at lunch. Yeah, we were. That uh, <laughs> revival doesn't even exist in the Bible. That is correct. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Because revival comes to bring something that has been doled out mm-hmm. or has been laid dormant back to life or refreshed. Right. When God's intent was to have a habitation with us 24-7, 365, mm-hmm. That's what he created us to do. So is that meant to and so we created a since we created a word to help us in our falling away. True. And our conscious choice not to stay entered in, right. not to stay before the Lord, to take everything out of perspective and see it the way we want to, not through the lens of Jesus, mm-hmm. or do it our way, or or, or or get lost over here in the shuffle of, of, of life instead of before him having this encounter every single day of our life. Right. I mean, he created us to habitate with us mm-hmm. from the beginning. Yeah. It's the truth. True. But because of our of the of the lie of the enemy, I hate to say it, we created. No, because these. of a choice of our belief in the lie. Right. right. That's we, right. We, we, created, we created things to bring us back from where we really never left. That encounter with the Lord. I mean, we can be a walking encounter. With him every single day, if we choose to. That's right. And like Scott said, even if we did this over yeah, here, because right. he hasn't gone anywhere. <clears throat> he hasn't gone anywhere. You know, I mean, God's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. I mean, He's right there in front of us. He's living here. Right. He's right here. He hasn't gone anywhere. We again, we haven't done anything so bad, so bad to separate ourselves from him. No. He's right there. And so, you know, I mean, and I've got to get to the place to where, how do I say this? That every day is an encounter with him like I did not have yesterday. And I don't have to live off of yesterday's thoughts or feelings or emotions. Because he's fresh and new every day. I, it's like waking up and he's got a new new field of flowers for me. That I've never seen, that I've never picked up. 
or he's, he's puts a table before me t tomorrow that I have never eaten from before. Because that's who he is. Because I've got another encounter. I've got another buffet, so to speak. You know, there's another revelation of, of his love for me. I mean, I remember Sunday, this lady who got in the, in the, in the water. I meant, dad was an atheist, mom was Jewish, didn't even know what the New Testament was. And decides to get in the water. And I remember, we, we first thing she says, I love it. I love I'm it. unworthy. I feel so unworthy to even be here because of my perception of what I was taught, the culture I was raised in, the ignorance or what I do not know. And try to leave the service three times at something just... <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you ever been that way? Like, <laughs> And besides, I guess I just need to get in the water. And, uh -huh. I mean, the first time was amazing, but the second time we, she went under, it was connecting her with the heart of the one who said, I love you. That's right. And when she came up into the Father's arms and the connection between her heart and his, her life was forever changed. And she laid in the, in the I, I had to leave and go to the birthday party, but when I left, she was being held in Katrina Little's arms, shaking wow. in his love. Well, I love the, my favorite part of her whole story is, and I can identify with this in my background, is she said in the water and in the encounter, she said, it's real. It's real. Yeah. <laughs> and see, that's the framework that I came into the Lord with. Because I was raised Baptist, and I appreciate my Baptist heritage. It gave me great word foundation. But when I was filled for the first time in the early 90s, Man, I was like a kid in a candy shop. I'm like, it's real. We can partner with the Lord? What? Eyes on this scene, near ear, heard it in the heart of man. But he reveals it to us by his spirit. What? I get to know? I get to hear? I mean, it was like this whole life. I mean, it's not a Sunday school lesson. This is real. This is the reality of life. You know what I mean? It's like, and, and that's, that's the best part of her story to me, is for her to say, it's real. Mm -hmm. You know, that revelation that it's not a story. It's not that head knowledge. It's not that intellectual process. It goes beyond anything. When we stay in that mikvah or stay in that encounter with him, Will things come after us? Absolutely. Will things happen in life? Absolutely. Because we live. We live. If they don't, we should be right. nervous. But, but the, way we, the way we perceive them <laughs> inside the of the encounter, okay. not outside the account, encounter, changes everything. Not to perceive is how we accept them. Mm -hmm. but you, I mean, but it's the way you see it first. I know, I know but, but it, once you see it, it's how you accept That's right. it. Yeah. What, I mean, it's your exception of what you perceive it to be. Yeah. If you, you say, okay, it's God things out of my word about that, or you say, well, that, that's me, then you get back to the same place you were before. You haven't yeah. changed it. Yeah. So it's, you perceive it, and then 
you can't accept it. That's the problem. The same law right. you put you on things that no, you know, this is this, this, this is that, and that. So you know, you, you should accept this. What I'm telling you is the truth, and it's not. None of it's the truth. So well, even our, even our own thoughts. That's I mean, right. that's why that's I love Second right. Corinthians chapter 10. Because people will buy into the lie, well, I thought it, so I guess that's who I yeah, am. Yeah, that's right. No, that it doesn't true. have to be. I mean, you can walk that discipline out of literally taking captive those thoughts, and you can see them eradicated out of your life. Well, I think of what we do a lot of times, and I do on occasions, more than I should <laughs> is that we get pulled out of that encounter mm -hmm. to deal with the emotional side of how we feel. Mm -hmm. Instead of dealing with the emotional side of, of what's happening inside the encounter, we withdraw from the encounter to deal with it. Yeah, but I say that dealing with it is not necessarily a bad thing. Being pulled into the emotion of it is not a bad thing. It's what Grant says. It's you, whether you accept that emotional state or you exchange that emotional state and be healed and receive what he has for you that, in that moment. But that is easier if you stay in the encounter. Yeah, but True. Your emotional, state, your emotional state is Satan's playground. And that's what right. you got to be scared That's the thing that I'm saying is inside the encounter we can do this, but we do it outside the, outside the encounter, we're a wreck. Well, if you're pulled out of, if you're pulled, I call it a swirl because that's the only way I only know to describe <laughs> it. But I can feel myself get pulled into a swirl, and I'm like, I, what? And, and I mean, and you, you, you choose again to get out of it. I mean, you, you cut yourself off from it and be like, I'm not going to be pulled into this place that I'm never meant to walk in. I keep thinking about Landon. Oh, my God, um, my back's sketching. I adopted and he came to me as a foster baby versus another foster baby that I just had. I just had her for a weekend, beautiful little baby, and I didn't see her again. I was just doing rest before, and I didn't see her again until she was a year old. And I keep hearing um, security and attachment. And I ran into her a year later at um, one of the visitation homes, and I saw her, and I was like, oh my gosh. And I took her in my arms, and I could feel the insecurity and the just, just I could just feel it all over her. And when I think back to Landon, he came from a very similar situation, but as a mother, I was able to wrap him with that security and, and bathe him with that security constantly. So he grew up in that security. And so I, I'm kind of relating what y'all are saying to that, that that just staying attached or in the water is our attack, like our just staying in a, a place of attachment and that security. And there's just a new, like you said, there's a new place of security and sonship or daughtership or whatever now that I feel. And it's staying in that place that helps me be able to stay out of those swirls and say, wait, whoa, 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 wait, I'm a daughter and it's, I'm not going to go down that. And she didn't have yet that ability to stop that whatever was going on all over her that I could feel, just that fear. Um, so, yeah. Well, I think about, um, absolutely, and I'll say this, Valerie, just as a confirmation, I, I know a lot of people, including yourself, have seen so much growth mm -hmm. in what you've just spoken about. Mm 
yeah. within yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's just like, a, it's, and it, I didn't do anything to get it. It just, it just came, and I just feel so much more like, this is not okay, and this is not okay. No, wait. So it helps a lot in daily life. <laughs> I think when we, when we are listening, you know, like for Donna, we've talked about the emotional part of this. I think part of the reason God wants to heal my soul is because it helps it helps me even in my ability to ascertain my identity. Yeah, you know, right. if I've got something that's always telling me something different. But I think when we're listening and we're in the swirl, we can have our emotions be telling us one thing, but the voice of God can still speak into something and tell me, this is not that. Yeah. This is not yes. that. And that's what you're yeah. listening Right. That's where that it, still small voice is as yeah, loud as Yeah, because it's like when I hear that, then my I can begin to inform my emotions and my spirit yes. kind of comes to the front of that one. It's like, okay, I need Holy Spirit and my spirit to, yeah. to tell me the truth, to tell yes. me what's true. You know what yeah. I mean? And so that's where I feel like that listening thing is just so pivotal for me and for us. Like, I need to hear Holy Spirit in the middle of the storm. I need to be able to hear the still small voice that cuts against the grain of the storm and says, but this is not that. They are cal also calm your storm. So yeah. small voice will calm your storm. That's yeah. what you got to have. That will calm your storm. Yeah. The, the difference is, for like me and my, and my wife, is that it's whether I'm hearing I'm for you or I'm against you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's coming out of the same voice. It's how you're hearing it Based on, based on where you are in the moment. Mm -hmm. And where it's coming from. And where it's coming from. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's, it's just an interesting place to be. <coughs> Especially, not just here for the Lord for yourself, but when there's the dynamic of walking life out with a spouse. It's an interesting place. Mm -hmm. You have two people in their own, you're on one place, but you're also two separate you know, identities here. Hearing from the Lord and moving forward and saying, This is what the Lord is saying. You know? So, yeah. And if they're not married, even if we're not, I think just finding ourselves around people that we are safe with. Somebody that can look me in the face and say, Scott, I know where you're at right now, and you're a little <laughs> off the map over here. Like you're getting ready to jump your friction on me, right? Let's just let's just listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying because I don't think that thing that you're feeling right there is what God's really saying right now. But if you have people, you have to have people you trust. Mm -hmm. You have to have people that can speak into your life that really know you well. And I mean, I have to, my wife has to pull me off the ceiling. I'll be honest. She pulls me off the ceiling sometimes. <laughs> and she'll have to let me know sometimes that she's not my enemy. When I want to say... Hold on, hold on. I'm for you, right? So what I have to say next is something you can actually hear. And because there's always a part of me, you know, we don't know what part of us in the moment is reacting out of what thing. Mm -hmm. When we have shame, which says we're defective, right? It's mm -hmm. usually because of the ways we've been sinned against and the ways that we've sinned. Mm -hmm. And all those things have informed that shame base in me. So 
it's pulling from somewhere. And my thing is, if my reaction is larger than what the situation seems to call for, it's probably pulling from back here. Right. Well, it's it's connected. It's connected. In other words, it's, it's larger. Like you're reacting really large to this, yeah, and right. it's pulling from something right back here. And it's like it takes people that know us well to say, you know what, that may not all be just what we're talking about right now. It might be something else. And then that person, if they can mediate the presence of Jesus to do something, that's even better. We have to burn people that love us and know us well. Then we're safe. And I think all these little tidbits we've been talking about tonight is why this revival is going to be so different. It yeah. is. It is. Because when we were talking uh, about all this during the fear of the Lord with John Bevere, we, we all agreed we wanted it to be something that we'd never seen before. So, um, the fear of the Lord was the big determining factor, and the, the fact that everybody was handling God with a commonness and not giving him what he deserved. So that now we're all um, understanding that the fear of the Lord is what is driving him to want us and for us to want him. And that's why I said to you, do you think we really understand what we're asking for when you say, send the fire? Remember? Send the fire, Lord. Send the fire. I said, we've got to teach this to the congregation because they don't understand what's the fear of the Lord. And he's always giving us more than we bargained for. He's giving us so much more. <clears throat> we fumble into things and we just show up and we end up getting all kind of things happening just because we showed up. Right. He's got stuff he's just putting in us. It's like his exchange is always larger than ours. And we kind of discover what he's putting in us as we go. It's why people have an impartation in that water. They come out, they go in for one thing because they want something to be healed or touched, and they come out, they get that. Then they go to work and they pray for somebody and the fire of God's all over and they realize, I actually had something imparted. He's doing, he's giving us so much more than what we actually are asking for. We're asking for the part we know and he's giving us
how encounters work or how habitations began. We think about the beginnings of John Wesley's life. When he was at Oxford, he started something called, called the Holy Club. And I, I, I think about what he thought holiness was. You know, he, he got about 25 people around him and they would fast three times a week. They would pray. They were accountable to each other. They would get together and read scripture and debate the scriptures and study out the scriptures in the Greek, in the Greek, the New Testament. And, and they had it all going on. And they had it going on. And all of a sudden, he decides to come to America. Early, early 1700s. And he encounters a group of people who has walked out encounters for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. right. They're not going through a process. They are the process. Called the Moravians. Mm -hmm. When something lasts 300 years, that's a movement. Mm -hmm. Right. I think you can consider that has accomplished something. And I was reading directly from his journal, from uh, John Wesley's journal, journal this morning. And he said, there was, the ship was being tossed and I was fearful. <laughs> I felt like the craft we were on, was, was, the boards were separating. People were screaming and yelling. And I went down beneath, and there was a group of people singing. And I didn't understand. Right? He said, and I asked them, how can you be joyful when your life's about to be taken? And they simply said, we, we're not afraid. If he takes us his way, we're with him. And they just sang. Mm -hmm. He'd ask one, are you, are you fearful? Why no? Neither are my children or my wife. Wow. Come on. Yeah. Come on. It, blew, it blew his theology of what an encounter with the Lord was. Right. Of course, he gets to to, to the Americas, to, to Georgia actually, hits our shores here. Some great things happen, but there's a statement John made in one of his journals. He says, today I stand here feeling unsaved. I fasted, I prayed, I've debated scripture, I've studied it in Greek, I've done all these things. I, I've separated myself you got to run into a people group that it's not about the pro all of these processes or these things that look right, mm. but they simply have an encounter with something I know nothing of. Right. He gets on the shores of Georgia. He says, and I follow them around. <laughs> right. <laughs> He says, and I found out it's just all about Jesus and an encounter. 
hey, my God, they spend all day with me. He said, I step away for a, for a few minutes, and I come back, and they're still having an encounter with the Lord. And because of that, I feel unsafe. This is John Wesley. Mm -hmm. They started one of the greatest moves on the earth. Gets back to England. Goes back to Oxford. Realizes, i got to figure out where these people come from. Goes over to Germany. Finds some people that are meeting. Moravians. Moravians, yeah. He says, I've never seen anything like it. There's a movement taking place. It's just about him. It's, I mean, he says, they're joyful in everything they do. They don't complain about anything. <laughs> they dance too. He says, I went to a funeral. <laughs> And they all gathered around. A family had lost their daughter. He says, and they were not sad. They were joyful for the time they had with their daughter. And now they're with him, the place they long to be. And they're joyful over the graduation of the daughter. got John Wesley to a place where he started a movement based on I've got to find this encounter. i got to find it's more than what you put on paper. It's more than a theology. It's more than the do's and don'ts. It's more with the heart of the Father. It's like, why were we created? We were not created. No. It's like, we're, we're created to worship. No, that's not what we're created for. We're created so that God can pour himself into something. And are we that something? Right. And when he's pouring himself into you, you're having an encounter. Right. Period. Mm -hmm. But when you're making yourself a like take take the lid off. Say pour yourself into me. But we're so good about putting these lids on. It's just like no. that's enough. Put the raincoat on, right? Put the raincoat on. Put that. Put or take the hair in the slide machine. You know, yeah, the hair is important. And I thought that was interesting today as I was just reading that. Like, you know, we cannot fear the encounter. We've spilled it too many times. The encounter is right. it's as equally as for us as it is for him. It's a two-way love affair, mm -hmm. fully on. Mm -hmm. It's an embracing like never before. It's like, you know, it's like... It's amazing, Scott, when we find ourselves there, how quickly we remove ourselves from that encounter. Not, not separation of the love, but just that encounter. Mm -hmm. That place of, of, of intimacy, maybe you can use that word, intimacy. That, pla that daily place of dying to myself and more him. Yeah. 
that's what, you know, that's what I was reading this morning, I thought it was just a, a great example of, of a people. There, 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 there was a people out there that their whole existence and culture was based around him. They created one of the greatest movements ever recorded in history. 300 years. And believe it or not, it was not in their prayer. <laughs> right. He said, all they did was with him. They were always, always with him. <laughs> it's hard to put that in the context of where we are today in the society we live in. You're busy, you're busy, you're busy, you're busy, you're busy, you're busy. I'm not so busy, but I'm a little busy. Where, where, where does that encounter fit in all of that? And guys, it's not even about how much time I spend on my face. Because you can have an encounter in him walking out that door. Right? It's wherever you have. Whatever access, wherever the access point is, how much you allow him to come in. I mean, if we limit it to a revival service, that's what it's limited to. When the reality of it, we come in on Sundays, we should we should like for nothing and need nothing except just to come worship him. Because we've had an encounter Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And we're just gathering with other people who's had the same encounters. And oh my God, it's just like, you can turn the lights off and then we can see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we're illuminated. <coughs> cool thing about it, we've all walked in this place just from time to time. Right? Yeah. I think it's one of the places that praying in tongues helps. You'd be surprised how softly you can pray in tongues and just fuck your mumbling to yourself. <laughs> you might think you're half cropped, you know what I mean? It's like, I mean, honestly, because it's almost like when you don't really, like for me, a lot of times I don't know what else to do. And the times that I feel the least like it are the times that I probably should the most. But it's almost like it's an easy one to do in a lot of the places that we are at in our day. You know, unless you're just like literally trying to have a conversation in English with somebody <laughs> in the register. But I mean, you know, they might think you're out of your mind, but I think it does do something to change our own atmosphere a lot of times. Any thoughts out there? Oh, I'm scratching my chin. That's okay. What we want is so different than what we wanted in previous revival times. We want him, not what he can give us, but just we want him. It's different. It doesn't sound different, but it's different. It's true, though. 
that's how we prepare the way. I mean, you see raw hunger. I mean, people are just really, that's what makes people drive all over the place, fly every place, go every place, like wherever they, it's because they're hungry. Sometimes we have to get really wet to see how hungry we are. Because mm. <laughs> all it does is show me how dry the night. going to be wild. It's going to be great. It's going to be full of you. <laughs> different and it's you we're fine.
it's wild, if it's crazy, we're great with it. As long as it's you. We just want you to show up. The raw God that hasn't been tainted, colored, different way, put out wet or dry, it's just you, Lord. It is you and the rawness of your love for us. We are a people that are ready for that. Whatever it looks like, God, do it. We love you. And Lord, we just pray for uh, Don and Jamie as they go. Yes. Father, there's a divine exchange that you have for them there at Burn. I ask that everything that they're to leave and to give would come out and that everything that they actually have to receive, that they would receive it. And Lord, just, we know you're in the details. So angels for safety, angels for connection, and crazy angelic activity around the whole thing. Yes. Lord, encounter, 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 encounter. And when they step onto the soil of Wales, I ask you just blow them completely sky high in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yes. May we take a picture of Wakey Wakey. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. With them. You can take it with them. Like right. Yourself. Or we can take it too. Or we can bring like part of Rimmy back like a year from now. <laughs> 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 Take a